welcome to Upbringing. We're Hannah and Kelty, twins, mothers, and works in progress. Upbringing is a movement that empowers us all to engage bravely with the hardest aspects of parenting, to create positive change in ourselves, our families, and the world. Join us to build intention, elevate skills, and align our parenting practices with our greatest ideals. When we practice trust over fear, connection over control, and progress over perfection, we're not just raising our kids, we're raising ourselves. Let's show up and grow up. Today's episode is supported by The Raja Press, an online boutique that celebrates life's adventures through fine jewelry. Designer and curator Katie Shadwick has impeccable taste and collects a beautiful array of hand-picked and reimagined vintage, as well as newly designed fine jewelry from San Francisco and beyond. We definitely love how geometric and timeless mm. her pieces are, and we have several earrings and rings from Raja Press. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also love that they donate to Planned Parenthood. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Visit therajapress.com and enter code UPBRINGING for 15% off your order. Now on to our feature. Our feature today is How to Fight by Thich Nhat Hanh. He is a Zen master, global spiritual leader, poet, and peace activist, revered throughout the world for his powerful teachings and best-selling writings on mindfulness and peace. Yes. His key teaching is that through mindfulness, we can learn to live happily in the present moment. The only way to truly develop peace, both in oneself and in the world. Thich Nhat Hanh, now in his 93rd year, is a gentle, humble monk, and he's published over 100 books and built a thriving community of over 700 monks and nuns worldwide who, with all of his lay students, apply his teachings on mindfulness, peacemaking, and community building in schools, workplaces, businesses, and even prisons throughout the world. So cool. Yeah. I love this guy. (laughs) He, I think that we grew up with a lot of his little books Mm -hmm. laying around the house. Because yeah. dad's Buddhist. Dad was Buddhist growing up. Mm-hmm. And he. I feel like every time we rounded the corner, he was sitting in a chair just kind of flipping through a small book. Why are they all small? I don't know. I think it's the handheld <laughs> nature makes them really um, appealing. We're large people. We yeah, need we bigger are. books, but... No. We need... Some, we, we're large people, but we like small things. True. Why is that? True as well. Okay. So anyway, we're talking about this because it's all connected. Yes. The times that we have flipped through these books, we're like, oh my God, holy shit. Well, you can apply these to anything in your life. I feel like it's like that Chinese restaurant, um, what's it called? That cookie they give you at the end, the, the fortune, fortune cookie, cookie. Mm. where you read whatever they say and you say like in bed at the end. And like, I feel like that's how we are with books. We're like, we read the book and we're like, in parenting. That's true. Yeah. yeah. That's what this is. <laughs> but like, I think we should mention that this book, How to Fight, is part of a greater like mindfulness essentials mm-hmm. yeah. series. So we the ended five up- Five cute books. Yeah, they're super cute. Imagine? But we picked up How to Sit, How to Eat, How to Walk, How to Love, mm-hmm. How to Fight. What was the last one? I think it's How to Relax. How to Relax. Yeah. yeah. So they basically- I need to read that one. Yeah, you do. Uh, They introduce beginners and remind seasoned practitioners of the essentialness of mindfulness practice Mm -hmm. and just give little directions for basically carrying out everyday activities with 
a little bit more. You're yawning already. Oh, I am. Man, I'm, I'm getting some good breath going for my mindfulness okay. to be in the moment with you. You're feeling calm. That's key. Um, I don't know what, how did our culture believe that taking a deep breath means you like dislike your situation? For me, taking a deep breath means I am breathing this in. I am integrating this feeling, this all of these senses into my moment. Okay, so it's not okay, bored. Get it's off engaged. my back. It's yes. engaged. It's it not sure bored. is. No, okay. I'm tired too. P.S. Yeah. You're a little bit tired today. I'm tired every day. Come okay, on. so basically, I dog-eared like six different little pages, and okay. I thought we could just kind of riff on them a little bit. Okay, so it's broken up into single like one to two max three page parts um that are titled things like impermanence betrayal and faithfulness give a gift this sounds heavy duty. are you sure These making are, peace this sounds heavy kel well and very in depth it is not heavy and it is not in depth it, they're they're very brief they're all just a little kind of thin sliced tidbit th- yeah but amusing like, Your hands look so big holding that little you. book. Thank um, you. They're musings. And that's why I like these books, too, because you can just like pick it up and flip to a page and be like, what am I into right now? I'm just going to take this one little nugget, mm-hmm. this gem, and see what I can do with it. Spin something magical Right. How it. can I run with it? Mm-hmm. How can I pull it into my own life? Because who has time to read a whole book? Yeah. It's not start, a, from start to finish. Right. It's not a book book. How yeah. to Fight is... With the rest of his like mindfulness essential series or whatever, actually my favorite, mm-hmm. and it's just these little like I said little gems. Okay, so let's move on. Okay, let's do this. So the first one, I think I might read each of the ones that we talk about. I would like that. They're okay. short. They're short. They're sweet. Okay, so the first one that we're gonna read is called "When Your House Is on Fire." Usually, when we are angry with someone, we are more interested in fighting with them than in taking care of our own feelings. It's like someone whose house is on fire, running after the person who has set the fire to their house instead of going home to put out the flames. If we don't go home to take care of our anger, our whole house will burn down. Mm -hmm. But if we can pause for a moment, we have a chance to acknowledge our anger, embrace it, and look deeply to see its true roots. If we can take care of our own anger instead of focusing on another person, we will get immediate relief. If we can pause, we can see that our anger or fear may have been born from a wrong perception or may have its roots in the large seeds of anger or fear within us. When we realize this, it frees us from anger and fear. Practice embracing and looking deeply to see the real roots of your anger. When insight is born, you will be free. Mm. And there's this little illustration of, of like a what's fire, it extinguisher. A fire extinguisher. Yeah. Goosebumps. Yeah. So each one is a sort of little like ranty riff in that way. Mm-hmm. And but parenting. Oh my God. Right. How, okay, riff, how go, can, go. How, but how can we not um, feel like when shit goes down in our homes with our kids that they are not to blame? They are the person we are chasing when our house is on fire, mm-hmm. that we are blaming, that we are leaning into that we are trying to control or fix that at least for me i feel like that that urge to be like you did this this is you they're the problem you know and not thinking for a minute that my reaction to that my experience of that has something to do with my house that's on fire and 
And then a second step is not just the recognition and the awareness of where the fire is. It's not in our child, it's in us. But that feeling of how to even put that out, like to, yeah. where do we put the energy? That, that's where what I do, like you know? is, is saying when something is going on in an interaction with your child, your partner, a person, whatever it is, we tend to like look towards that other person or blame project. or project mm-hmm. or do those things instead of just being like, <clears throat> my job is right here where my tower is on fire. I need to extinguish these pl- flames before I then move but outward why, from why that. as a culture do we not take it on upon ourselves to be like, I'm doing me. This isn't what I can do. Mm-hmm. Why do we think that it's all about other people? Why do we think that everyone else is to blame? Maybe because I definitely feel that way most of the time. Maybe because when we were kids, we were blamed for things and or we weren't taught to look beneath the surface or self-regulate or mm-hmm. consider our own feelings before we, we reached out or consider mm-hmm. what another person might be going through before we judged them or any of those things. Yeah. I don't know. But I like that thinking of I'm trying to think of the word for the people that go like after a fire to like see why the fire started Mm -hmm. what are those people Mm -hmm. damn it I'm like totally blanking like inspector fire inspector yeah like those types of people and they like you know see like there was burning in this area and there's this like unraveled little like piece of plastic and they know like how it started um but that's like what we talk about with our empowerment of like looking inwards to be like why am I freaking out right now this is not everybody freaks out about this. This is not a cultural thing. This is not a familial thing. This is not a parent role thing. This is a personal, not even mom thing. This is a me thing. I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to look into this um, and not make it about my kid. And that's, that's the big ask of parenting. I think the big ask too is changing the idea of like, like he, Thich Nhat Hanh paints these beautiful metaphors and him talking about the house being on fire as an example is is saying, look to put out the flames within you instead Mm -hmm. of thinking the fire is where the kid is or Mm -hmm. where the other person is. Mm -hmm. That's not where the fire is. The fire is needing to be attended to here. It is very secondary. Like after understanding why it affects us so much, what our kid did, then we can be like, well, what can we do with the kid to prevent those triggers from happening Mm -hmm. secondarily? But I also love that it's about your house. Your house is you, your sense of self, your sense of security, your sense of comfort, your sense of belonging, all of these things he, he made in this metaphor of a house. And I think that's so beautiful because when we see ourselves threatened and uh, by a fire, by an emotion, by an incident with our family or our kids, it, we immediately look to the cause of the fire instead of just putting it out. It's just, it's, it's kind of revolutionary for me. Okay, I'm moving on. Okay. Compassionate listening. When you practice compassionate listening, it's important to remember that you listen with only one aim, and that is to help the other person to suffer less. Mm. Whoa, right? You're like, why? What about me? So you give the other person a chance to say what is in their heart. Even if the other person says something harsh, provocative, or incorrect, or something full of blaming judgment or wrong perceptions, you still continue to listen with the heart of compassion. If you can maintain the energy of mindfulness and compassion in your heart while listening, you will be protected. And no matter what the other person says, it won't touch off the energy of irritation or anger within you. 
In that way, you can listen for an hour or more, and the quality of your listening will help the other person to suffer less. When people listen to each other like that, they truly recognize the humanity and the suffering of another person. You see the other person is a human being, someone very much like yourself. You no longer look at that person with suspicion, anger, or fear. Hmm. Yeah. I've been thinking about compassionate listening for an hour or more. An hour or more. Who else in our lives do we hold court for like we do our kids? Yeah. You know. But even how many, then, how, what is right. our tolerance in listening right. to them yeah, in that but, way? I mean, you think like having a conversation with your parents or a friend or a neighbor or a coworker, how much back and forth that is compared to what it could be for listening. Like the only listening relationship I can think of is a therapist relationship where they're getting mm-hmm. paid to sit there and compassionately listen to you. But how many people in your lives could be that compassionate listener without taking your money? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. There are a lot of parallels to me with therapy and parenting. I'm reading a book called How It's Like How to Become a Better Therapist or something like it sounds really sh- cheesy and shitty, but it's um by uh Louis Cosolino and it's about like so many of the parallels in therapy pertain to parenting where what happens when we can just sit and see them. And I think in our culture we have this feeling that the more someone puts their shit onto us in that term mm-hmm. and you know opens himself up and is vulnerable the more somehow we're bearing a burden and i love that Tiknat han is saying no listening protects us it doesn't hurt us yeah. in this scenario totally and, mm-hmm. and i love that and that listening it lessens their suffering and it doesn't have to create suffering in us it it's not like one of those things where it's either on them or it's on us it can just be it can be up into the air in that kind of way yeah that's what compassionate listening can do it also reminds me of our connect step in our mm. four powers of yeah. respect connect innovate trust where we kind of make this special time mm-hmm. within a struggle or within a day multiple times whatever it is to just have no rush, no agenda, but just let them say their needs, you know, mm-hmm. and we'll get our time. And just to be able to listen and and to say, I don't actually know. I'm not going to decide. I already know the end of this story. I already know what they're going through. I already know what they want. I already know what they need. Mm-hmm. But to actually, li- like he says, listen compassionately in order to understand better. But I think that that is difficult because I think we decide we know somebody. We know our partner. We know our our kids already. We know them in and out. So anything they say, we've already predicted the outcome. We already have the expectation based. And I was just hearing a podcast with Stan Tacken, who wrote um, Wired for Love, and he's a marriage and family therapist, also a therapist, which is interesting here. Mm-hmm. But he talks about how we never can actually know each other completely and how this this kind of journey we take through compassionate listening, through caring, through empathy is allowing us, I mean, it's, it just opens up a whole world of possibility when I think it's so easy for at least me to just shut down that possibility being like, I know, I already know what they're going to say. Mm-hmm. I already know what my kid needs. They're a broken record. They're a it's little like the jaded robot. perspective. Yeah, it is. And compassionate listening, I love that. It says, wait, open up, see what happens, see what you hear. What does that do? How does that transform the person who's able to express that? And how does that transform the person who's able to hear it? But it also puts me in mind of 
the moments that I feel the most connected to is when I feel someone is actually listening, mm. actually absorbing what I'm fucking mm. saying. And not just reflecting it and bo- it bouncing off of their or own Or changing ego. the subject or, you know, distracting fix or fixing or mm. any of those or things. Or judging or, yeah. yeah. This is such a big one where we're like, how do we feel when a friend or a partner does that mm-hmm. to us? It feels shitty. It's, it's one of our like barometer things. Yeah. Okay, I have another one. Okay. The art of apologizing. Mm. Oh, yeah. We could do a whole empowerment episode or like 20 on this. Oh, yeah. The ability to apologize sincerely and express regret for the unskillful things we say or do is an art. A true apology can relieve a great deal of suffering in the other person. Once we realize that we may have said or done something to make another suffer, we can find a way to apologize as soon as possible. If we can, we should apologize right away and not wait. We can talk to the other person directly, or if they're not there, we can call them on the phone or even send a note. There is no need to wait until the next time we meet. Hmm. A straightforward apology can have a powerful effect. We can just say, I'm very sorry. I know I was unskillful. (laughs) I was not mindful or understanding. We do not need to justify or explain what we said or did. We just apologize. Hmm. How many of us parents apologize to our kids? That's not in the books. It's a toughie and it's not Mm. automatic for sure. We're supposed to be in charge. We're the ones in control, in power. Wouldn't that undermine our control if we apologize to our kids? We'll get into this in a big way. But um, I love that he is saying that, that there is nothing weak about apologizing. There's something very powerful in it. Um, You know? I love that. And just, we talk about often apologizing as a way of modeling, Mm -hmm. as a way of showing, which is backed by a lot of research, graciousness is contagious. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean being permissive. And awareness and empathy and all these things. For sure. They're all part of this bigger circle. But I think that it takes a lot of practice and often, I, I, I mean, I even think back to the beginning of my relationship with Justin, where our apologies looked more like passive aggressive apologies that was like, I'm so sorry that you feel that way. <laughs> like, they start that way. So but you freaked out so hard about what I'm so sorry that you're having so much pro- of a problem dealing with me and like whatever. But it. At least it, it was formatted, no, framed say, in an I way. Sure. <laughs> say the words of I'm so sorry, even in that way. And they like slowly progress mm-hmm. to a more open way, like an honest and to the point. Right. Or yeah. even and then you become able to say, I'm so sorry. I don't understand you right now. Mm. And that and that curries so much favor. In an interaction. And to be honest, it's like a superpower play. It like, absolutely it, it, is. It is so powerful to be able to say that you're sorry. Holy you, shit. You think that it's the opposite. Hannah, but when, yeah. when Justin apologizes before I do, I'm like, fuck, I just got totally power played. Because mm-hmm. if he says it first, that means that that it's time for me to let go of a bunch of stuff that I'm not yet willing to let go of. <laughs> and be like, okay, he, he stepped up as the grown up. Now I can apologize back or be like, okay, you're right. I did this and this. And it shows me that the other person, whether it's you or Justin or my kid every now and then, want to make things better and not worse. But I think that with our kids, it's really easy to be like, this thing happened. I yelled. I pushed something. Mm -hmm. 
I got impatient. Let's just forget this happened. Oh, like, this, this is so uncomfortable. This sucked. I don't want my kid to remember this. I'm not going to reinforce this by apologizing about it, let alone undermining my power and control. Mm-hmm. But research shows it really fucking matters to say, I'm human. I messed this up and I'm going to repair. We call it repair. A lot of people call it repair. I'm going to make a point to, to discuss this and to bring it up because it made a mark on you. It made a mark mm-hmm. on us. Let's let's rewrite this. Yeah. Let's let's you know, let's change this a little bit. But in those moments that I'm able to apologize, even for the most innocuous or passive aggressive mm-hmm. thing, it's like a a, a burden is lifted mm-hmm. on me. Yeah. Like it cuts to the chase. Like he said, getting to it fast mm-hmm. helps. Like it piles on after that. It's hard. It gets harder well, and harder I mean, and harder. You can't, you can't do it when everyone's still dysregulated. But like why not? sooner than later. Like, why not? Sometimes it I'm like, help. I'm so sorry that I got you the turquoise spoon and not the blue spoon. I misunderstood that. If you're able that. to do that, sure. If you're able to do that and yeah, it takes some channeling. Show that but, vulnerability. But show that care. Show that you didn't understand how fucking crazy they were and their need. <laughs> but say, I'm so sorry. I had no idea that you wanted to put your left foot through the pants before your right foot, and you're having so much trouble with that. You can authentically say that and say, I'm so sorry, I didn't know, because you didn't. You ha- you had no idea how crazy they were in the moment. And you are now understanding them better as a human, and all of this is good. And it sort of bursts your bubble mm-hmm. of, why is this happening? This is so messed up. It helps pull you out, or helps pull me at least out, mm-hmm. into a sort of like, Wow, I had no idea. Like the Some level of this. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So. We could keep going on this for a long time. Let's move on. That's true. Okay. Tree in a storm. I feel like you should read this. You should really? start reading them. Yeah. I can read it. Thanks, I can read girl. anything. <clears throat> Many people don't know how to handle their strong emotions. Our wrong perceptions can make us angry or fill us with despair. To see clearly, we must calm down. When we're overcome by strong emotions, we're like a tree in a storm Mm. with its top branches and leaves swaying in the wind. But the trunk of the tree is solid, stable, and deeply rooted in the earth. When we're caught in a storm of emotions, we can practice to be like the trunk of the tree. We don't stay up in the high branches. We go down into the trunk and become still, not carried away by our thinking or emotions. We don't say or do anything. We just focus all our attention on the rise and fall of our abdomen, our trunk. This protects us from speaking in anger and saying something we may regret. This one reminds me of our Friday Empowerment episode about tone also, Mm. where coming back to our center can help us like regroup before we like fucking make everything worse. Yeah, I love too that this is... It kind of harks to the, can you say hark to something? I don't know. Harks back. And it, you only hark back. I don't know. <laughs> we'll look this up, you guys. It's or chime in the show in. notes. Um, <clears throat> but it reminds me of this kind of uh, symptom versus root thing, this mm. behavior versus need thing we talk about. Like where a tree's leaves are the symptom or mm-hmm. behavior, and yeah. then the, the root or the, the trunk. trunk are. It's yeah. the root cause, the root need. That's yeah. where we should be focusing and breathing into and looking at and tending to. Yeah. Like that's the house. You know? I like that too. Yeah. Not getting carried away by the leaves, by the distractions, by the behaviors, by the stuff. But that's what our culture and what at least we were 
ways to like you know focus on that's what we see in movies that's what it's all about is what we see these swaying branches the leaves the colors and it's not about this static trunk we don't notice those yeah, things I even though like that's it, where everything is really I feel like happening it's both those things it's outside us looking down to the need from the behavior and it's yeah. inside us looking like from those stressors and all the like extra stuff to recenter down at our base. Mm-hmm. This is getting very meta. Okay, cool. Uh, but I hope you all got that. Or like, <laughs> tell us if you didn't. We're moving on. <clears throat> okay. I have to flip some pages really quick. Kelty, we are at 30 minutes. What? We're trying to do these as 30 minutes. I think that we should go no, 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 to no, no, no. your favorite one, internal knots. Yeah. Okay. I've got a couple this left. This is a here. favorite one. Mm-hmm. You mentioned this one to me. I don't know any of I these. I talk about yeah. this one all the time. Mm-hmm. This metaphor blew me away. Okay, I'm going to read it. Internal knots. In Buddhist psychology, we find the term internal formations or internal knots. When someone says something unkind to us and we don't understand why, we may become upset. A knot is tied inside us. Lack of understanding is the basis for every internal knot. It's difficult for us to accept that we have a negative feeling like anger, fear, and regret. We create elaborate defense mechanisms to deny their existence, but these feelings are always trying to surface. Mm. We can learn the skill of recognizing a knot the moment it is tied in us, and we can find ways to untie it. If we give it our full attention as soon as it forms, while still loosely tied, untying will be easy. Otherwise, it grows tighter and stronger with time and is more difficult to loosen. Mm. Yeah. He just like painted a picture of these knots inside me yeah. that I know exist. Mm-hmm. He, About situations, situations, memories, people. people, everything. Yeah. And, and the ways that I've tried to, to, to loosen them, mm-hmm. you know, and the ways that I don't want to create those knots. Well, and the tight, the longer they go, the tighter they get, and the yeah. harder it is. Like you've, all, we've all like been like my kids, like undo this knot, and you're like, Jesus Christ! Like it's like it hurts your fingers to try and pry it loose, and it makes you feel futile and helpless. I mean, these are the knots inside that we want to be tending to emotionally right away when they're still loose, when they're still newly formed, and I just, it's such powerful imagery. It's amazing. Yeah. I think it's really about the hard stuff being the good stuff and yeah. the hard stuff being those things that we usually want to sweep under the rug, mm-hmm. a hard situation or a pattern with our kids or something that's just going awry. Yeah. Whether it's like a food thing or like sleep is sucking or <clears throat> they're starting to like talk back to us or whatever it is. And we're like, oh, it's not happening. It's, it's creating these knots and I'm starting to but, fester. But you and like, I say, that's the ding ding. Mm-hmm. The ding ding means there's something we don't understand. What he says is that there's a lack of understanding. Yeah. Therefore, how do we understand? We read, we listen to our child, we observe our child. We look inward and think about how we're triggered, what we're feeling and thinking, why we're doing that. Those are that's the process to untie those in, internal knots, and so, you know sooner than later, hopefully, if we yeah. can, if yeah. we can. And I think talking about it, yeah, like really, with your partner, with a friend, with a sibling, with with anyone, being like this thing's been happening, mm-hmm. like that helps untie the knot. Yeah, any talking, any discourse, any thought about it, 
works against the knot. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, silence keeps the knot tighter. Yeah, yeah that's I so agree. true. I love that. Okay, three sentences for when you are suffering. This was kind of a big one. This is such a cute little book. You should, okay. I don't think we should just go to this last one. No, I want to read this really quick. Okay. This is like an exercise. It's good. Okay. Three sentences can help you when you are angry and do not want to be carried away by your anger. The first line is, breathing in, I know I am suffering. We often don't realize when we're suffering, and so we become a victim of our suffering. And by saying, breathing in, I know I am suffering, there is suffering, but there's also a mindfulness of suffering. Mm. That makes a big difference. Okay, that's the first step. The second line is, I know that you are suffering too. Usually we think that we are the only one who is suffering, that we are the victim (laughs) of the unkindness or cruelty of the other person. We forget that the other person is also suffering, and that's why they said or did such things. Hmm. The third line is, I need your help. We need help because we are suffering. We want to understand what has happened. The other person also needs our help, not punishment. This simple phrase can remind us that we can offer to be a refuge for each other rather than make things worse. Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) We can de-escalate tension and conflict straight away by asking the other person for help. So you breathe in and know I'm suffering. Then you say, I know that you're suffering too. And then you say, I need your help. How crazy is that, that when you are suffering, you then recognize the other person's suffering, and then you ask that person for fucking help mm. while you're suffering. It is, it is the definition of leaning in. Yeah. Like, to everything. It is counterintuitively failing forward with these things. Yeah. Saying, I'm not, I'm not feeling good. I'm suffering. I'm going to acknowledge that and make it official. Mm-hmm. And then you're bugging the shit out of me this like child that I love so much, I can acknowledge that you're suffering too. And that's hard as a parent to acknowledge that our child is suffering. But I I feel like that's a big thing. It's much easier to be like, you're just an asshole. Yeah. But I think that often we're like, talk about pulling ourselves out of the matrix and Mm -hmm. being like, okay, instead of just spiraling in reaction mode, we say, I'm suffering. Mm -hmm. And then we say, this person across from me, if they're a kid, whoever they are, they're suffering too. Mm -hmm. Like, regardless of their behaviors, that that's a suffering. Yeah. And then instead of saying, do fix this, it. do that, fix that, we say, I need help. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Help means two people. Help means collaboration, connection. But it also means yeah. vulnerability. Mm-hmm. It means saying, I need help. I don't yeah. know what to do next. I don't it, know how to fix this. Well, I don't I, know whatever. The idea is saying it's not. We're not, it's not the master where we have to fix everything or the mm-hmm. slave where our, our kid has to, or the opposite master where our kid has to fix everything in the problem or the slave where we have to fix everything. Mm-hmm. It's about saying we need to figure this out because these feelings, this suffering is mutual. It's connected. Therefore, if the suffering is connected, the solution and the relief of suffering should be connected. We're right? in it together. Yeah. Yeah. It's side by side. Yeah. I love that. Totally. Okay, so I'm going to read 
this one of the kind of ending quotes. Do we get like. to do we get to riff on this baby, or are we just gonna send it off with this? I think we can kind of send it off. Let's okay. do it. Yeah. Okay. A fresh beginning. Do you want to read it? Sure. Yeah, I feel like I should do it. Of course, we make mistakes. Of course, we have not been very skillful. Of course, we have made ourselves and the people around us suffer. But that does not prevent us from improving, from transforming, Mm. from beginning anew. To begin anew is to look deeply and honestly at ourselves, our past actions, speech, and thoughts, and to create a fresh beginning within ourselves and in our relationships with others. The Buddha said that if you have not suffered, there is no way you can learn. We learn by making mistakes. We can begin anew at the last moment of the day and even at the last moment of our life. In one day, in 24 hours, you have hundreds of chances to begin anew. So send us your own favorite Thich Nhat Hanh writing mm-hmm. and you can do the affirmation. Yeah. yeah. You are doing an amazing job, everybody. We're so proud of you. Mm-hmm. And we're right here with you, taking steps to better understand ourselves, our kids, and one another. Thanks for being here. We're all growing up together. Till next time.